0: Good morning, we're going to be starting in Luke chapter 15, if you would turn in your Bible over to that place, Luke 15, and sort of centering our thoughts this morning around uh, this story that Jesus tells in Luke 15. It is good to see you this morning, good to be with you. We have a handful here and uh, many more I'm sure that are watching over our live stream and uh, it is good to be thinking about spiritual things and to be able to uh, center our minds on what we have uh, received from God as we've uh, taken the Lord's Supper together and as we've sung these songs together. And I hope that uh, the things that we're going to talk about will be helpful to kind of give some context and some understanding of how I think we can use uh, some of the things that are going on in our world right now uh, to drive us toward God. Uh, Luke 15, I want to begin just by reading in verse 11. Luke 15 and verse 11 says, And he said, There was a man who had two sons. We are in a strange new world over the last few weeks here. Our economy is tanking. Unemployment is skyrocketing, as we found out this week. We can't leave home, or at least we're not supposed to. And there is a fearful, deadly virus on the loose. People are losing jobs. People are losing savings. And sometimes uh, there are times in life where we come to a realization about our lives and what's important in life and we do it kind of gradually and thoughtfully and and slowly we arrive at a conclusion. And then there are other times where life kind of hits us upside the head. And it seems to me that these last few weeks have been life hitting us upside the head. I want us to think about the fact that we have received what we're going to call a wake-up call, A, a time when... Because of the nature of the way things are right now, the iron is hot for us to make some changes in our lives. Our routines have been upended. We're thinking in a different way. We might say this way, this crisis has our attention. And when that happens, those moments are rare in life where something so confuses us, scares us, startles us, that we're ready to think in a different way. And I want to caution us against just hoping that this whole thing will pass so that we can all return to normal. I don't believe that's the best way to think about and interpret a time like what we're living through. As a Bible teacher, it's my duty to press each one of us to use this as a moment to consider our ways and our relationship with God. Think about how things are going in your life. And so I come to a story like this. I want to remind you that Jesus tells the story about the prodigal son to illustrate something. Back in the beginning of Luke 15, he tells all these stories, the story of the lost sheep and the story of the lost coin and the story of the lost son. He tells them all to describe God's response to tax collectors and sinners who are coming to Jesus. But this is the story, the story of the prodigal son that really carries the most emotional weight because it's describing a human journey a journey away from the father and then to the point where that son realizes what he's done and turns around and goes back home to his dad. There are a couple of things in the story that I want you to notice that changed this young man from taking his father's inheritance early before his father dies and then wasting it in a foreign land. A couple of things happen. Look at verse 14. It says, "And when he had spent everything." So there's the first thing, he is broke. He's got nothing. He can't help himself. He has nothing left. And then verse 14, when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country. So now not only is he broke, but everybody's kind of broke. Nobody has anything to share with him. In fact, it says specifically that no one gave him anything in verse 16. So he finds the job nobody wants because these two things happen. He's broke and there's a famine. He ends up feeding pigs. The law declared pigs unclean, but not only as a feeding pigs, which is a dirty job that nobody wants, but then in verse 16, it says that he longed to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. So he was so hungry that he was ready to get down with the pigs and eat their food. Verse 17 then says, when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hungry. When he came to himself is what we're talking about this morning, that moment that makes the whole story go from then on. That moment when he came to himself and he realized where he had been and what he had done and now where he needed to go, that moment is the moment you and I may be living in right now. The moment where we come to ourselves. So I believe our situation could be a similar wake-up call. And what I mean by that is there are things that are outside our control that shake us out of our complacency where we see where we are and we see where we need to go and we see what needs to change. So what I want to do this morning is just ask three questions from this story and then think about how you and I can interpret and use the time that we're living in to draw closer to God. The first question is, where are you right now? I think this young man was refusing to acknowledge where circumstances had led him. Where was he? It took a wake-up call for him to see where he was. He is in the far country, feeding pigs and hungry for their food. That's where he is. But he had been there for some time until finally it says he came to himself. Look at verse 17 again. Verse 17 says, but when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. He says, wait a minute. You can almost hear it. Wait wait a minute. What am I doing here? You know, back home... Even the servants ate better than this. And I am dying because I'm so hungry. Have you ever thought about why why does it take him so long? Why does it take us so long to see where we are? There are some things we just don't like to acknowledge. I thought about this. Uh, Most of you guys know when when we moved here, I, I drove a 2006 Impala. I drove it for Nine or ten years, and uh, every once in a while, the check engine light would come on. Sometimes the whole dashboard would flash. Uh, The air conditioning didn't work. The heat didn't work, Um, and sometimes it would say there was no oil, even though there was oil. And uh, I just say, my approach to my Impala was, let's hope for the best. And every time I got in the car and things was, I would say, How, maybe I could just get where I'm going. Maybe I didn't have the money. I didn't have the time, the bandwidth. I just didn't want to mess with it. Do you ever do that with your life? You know, like oh, let's just hope for the best. I, I know there's probably a problem there, but I don't want to think about that right now. Maybe it's your, your air conditioner in your house. You start hearing noise. Oh, let's, let's turn it off and see if it gets better. Or maybe it's an appliance you have and you say, I know it shouldn't be sounding like that, but I don't really want to replace that right now. Well, let's just hope for the best. Maybe it's a relationship. Do You ever have that happen? where you, There's something wrong there, but I don't really want to deal with that right now or I don't want to have to have that conversation. So, you know, let's just let it slide for a little while longer. Or maybe it's your body. Yeah, I know that shouldn't hurt, but maybe, maybe if I give it a couple of days, I'll feel better. You know, maybe there's just some small thing, maybe it'll heal up on its own. But eventually, what happens? Eventually, whether it's the car or the AC or the relationship or your body, eventually the thing demands attention. And there's no more putting it off. The relationship, that conversation is going to happen whether you like it or not. The car is going to break down and demand your attention. The AC is going to break and you're going to have to do something. Or your body is going to say, Nope, no more, no more putting it off. Sometimes that's what happens with life. And I think that's the idea. When this young man comes to himself, it's that he sees where he is and there's no more putting it off. I mean, I'm going to die here. He says, I perish with hunger. Something's got to change. I've got to see where I am and how I got to where I am. Leave your marker or your finger here. Let's go over to the book of Haggai. Haggai, chapter 1. Now, you might say, well, we should always be aware of where we are, and that's certainly true, but I think we would all acknowledge that it's kind of natural and human for us to get lulled into a sense of complacency, where we just kind of get used to the status quo. So, that's what happens in Haggai, in chapter 1 of Haggai, and God is telling them, hey, wake up a little bit. Why don't you see why you are where you are and see just where where it is you are. Haggai 1 And verse 3, Haggai 1 and verse 3, this is of course during the time when Judah has come back from captivity and instead of completing the temple, they have gone and built their own houses and God is upset about that. Haggai 1 and verse 3, then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord, consider your ways. I think part of the problem is we don't put the whole picture together at once the way Haggai does for the people here, where God says, hey, wait a minute. Time out. Do you see what's happening? You're doing all this work. You're eating all the time, but you're never full. Hmm, Have you thought about that? And you keep saving money and then nothing happens? There there just keeps tending to be this problem you can't overcome. Have you thought about maybe why that would be? Now, a lot of times when we have situations like that, we we deal with the problem by doubling down. And we say, oh, you know what? I'm still hungry. I'll just eat twice as much. Or I still don't have any savings. I just need to work harder at it. And so we think, oh, that's the problem. But God says, No, the problem is you are not considering your ways. You don't see where you are. You don't see reality. Where are you and why are you there? That's the question. Micah says something similar. This is Micah 6, verse 13. Therefore, I will strike you with a grievous blow, making you desolate because of your sins. You shall eat but not be satisfied, and there shall be hunger within you. You shall put away, think of saving there, but not preserve. And what you preserve, I will give to the sword. You shall sow but not reap. You shall tread olives, but not anoint yourselves with oil. You shall tread grapes, but not drink wine. For you have kept the statutes of Omri and all the works of the house of Ahab. So you get the point. You're going to try to do the things in a normal way, and it's not going to work. And that is a form of my punishment. I want you to wake up. Why is nothing working? That's the question God wants us to ask. So when I say, where are you right now? I want to ask that question in two ways to think about taking stock of our lives in two ways. First of all, is just the physical things. Where are you physically? Are you suffering? Are you in need? Are you out of work? Or in the language of the prophets we've just read, are you continually behind financially? Or have your savings been erased? A lot of people have had that happen over the last couple of weeks. Are you living in fear? Are you physically unwell? How could this experience be a wake-up call for you? We need to learn from the reality of where we are to think about how we got to where we are and why we are where we are. So the young man only could leave the pigsty when he realized he was in the pigsty and that he was there because of his own poor choices. I got myself here. I'm going to have to move if I want to get out. Now, I'm not saying that everybody who's in a bad circumstance is there because of their own choices. That's not what I'm trying to say. I am saying, That for a wake-up call to work, we have to be honest about where we are and why we are where we are. But the other way I want to think about this question is to answer, where are you right now spiritually? Are you close to God? Are you living with an awareness of God in your life? Are you filling your heart with his word? Are you pursuing his character? Are you treating other people like yourself? How are you doing that? Or are there things in your life that you know shouldn't be there? Habits that you have that you know you shouldn't have. Things that you know you need to get right, but you just haven't. People you know you need to make things right with, but you just haven't. You just won't. Are there issues you keep putting off, refusing to acknowledge, going on, smiling, and hoping it goes away? Like driving with your car, breaking down the whole time, just hoping for the best. Just where are you? That's what this young man had to realize. And it took circumstances outside his control to shake him out of that and see where he was. Second, what have you been taking for granted? Often we reach this point because there are blessings that we have received and keep receiving, but we have stopped acknowledging. And when those blessings dry up, then it wakes us up. That's what happens to the young man. This young man, the prodigal, had been raised in a nice home by a well-off father. He had all he needed. He probably had not experienced hunger ever until he leaves home. And suddenly he runs out of money and runs out of friends, and no one gives him anything. He probably never had to worry about pigs. I wonder if he even knew what pigs ate before he had to feed it to him. But it's only when he rebels and leaves home that he realizes how much he's taken for granted. Look at that story with me again. In Luke 15 and verse 17, listen to his realization. Luke 15, 17. when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? His realization is, my father's servants live better than I'm living. So he woke up when he realized the things he had been counting on and taking for granted had dried up. That standard of living he had gotten used to all of a sudden was a lot lower. And he said, maybe, maybe that's not good. And maybe things need to change. It seems to me that part of a wake-up call is when we have those things that we've come to rely on taken away from us. And we are we're confused and we're troubled, but then we begin to ask the question... Where did that come from, and why have I been taking it for granted for so long? Go with me to the book of Amos, if you would. You can tell I've been thinking a lot, reading a lot in the prophets. And uh, this, it seems to me that a lot of the prophets have a good commentary on some of what we're experiencing, uh, especially in terms of the sort of the unrest that is created when something like what we're experiencing happens. And Amos chapter 6, I want to read. I, I read this passage with you. Uh, back a few weeks ago. And it seems to me that there is something in this that resonates deeply with me about the way we are living in in modern America, where we are not really awake to real need. And that's what God is telling the people of Israel here. In Amos chapter 6 and verse 1, he says, "'Woe to those who are at ease in Zion.'" And to those who feel secure on the mountain of Samaria, the notable men of the first of the nations to whom the house of Israel comes, pass over to Kalna and see, and from there go to Hamath the Great, then go down to Gath of the Philistines. Are you better than these kingdoms, or is their territory greater than your territory? O you who put far away the day of disaster and bring near the seat of violence." "'Woe to those who lie on beds of ivory and stretch themselves out on their couches "'and eat lambs from the flock and calves from the midst of the stall "'who sing idle songs to the sound of the harp "'and like David invent for themselves instruments of music, "'who drink wine and bowls and anoint themselves with the finest oils "'but are not grieved over the ruin of Joseph. "'Therefore they shall now be the first of those who go into exile "'and the revelry of those who stretch themselves out shall pass away.'" The Lord God has sworn by himself, declares the Lord, the God of hosts. I abhor the pride of Jacob and hate his strongholds, and I will deliver up the city and all that is in it. So he speaks to those in Judah and Israel who are secure and at ease. They stretch out on their couches. They eat lambs from the flock. They have lots of what we would call discretionary time and discretionary income. In other words, they're rich. And they're laying around being lazy. And I want you to notice how easily having such blessings leads to pride. You can see it in verses 2 and 3 there where he says, go look at these other nations, Kalna, Hamath, Gath. And he says in verse 2, are you better than these kingdoms? Or is their territory greater than your territory? O you who put far away the day of disaster and bring near the seat of violence. So he says, you, you think... You're different from them. You're better than them. I mean, after all, they were taken over, but you never will be. And there is a pride in that that says we're totally different. We're better than those nations. So we can sit here and be at ease and trust that no one would ever do us any harm. It seems to me that this is the spirit of modern America, where we think we're somehow totally different from every other nation in the world. And the people in those nations, they may suffer, they may have trouble, but never us. Why would we be subject to the same problems as them? After all, we are different. And it seems to me that in a wake-up call, we suddenly begin to see just how much we've taken for granted. Just how much we have relied on things that are unstable foundations. Go with me to Luke chapter 12. Luke 12. Luke 12 and verse 16, Luke 12 and verse 16, Jesus is teaching his disciples here about covetousness and he is, he is singling out a man who has come trying to get him to uh, be a judge between him and his family about the inheritance. And he tells this story, Luke 12, 16, he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do for I have nowhere to store my crops? And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So the man has this question he asks himself. It's it's a really interesting way of framing the story. He says to himself, what shall I do? I mean, I've got got this problem. I got too much good for what I have. Here's what I'll do. And so he decides, he lays out this long plan, you know, I'll build these bigger barns and I'll fill them up and then I'll finally be able to relax, eat, drink, and be merry. So what is this man taking for granted? He certainly has a wake-up call at the end of the story, doesn't he? Fool, this night your soul is required of you. What is he taking for granted? He assumes that he would always have more time. There'll be time in the future. I can finally have what I've been working for. And he keeps putting off and putting off and putting off. And then the day never comes. There is usually something that keeps us from changing in the present. Sometimes it's things that we're taking for granted and counting on that a wake-up call exposes so I want to ask you the question. What have you been taking for granted? Have you been assuming that you would have plenty of time? And what if you don't? What happens then? What changes then? Have you been taking for granted that there will be money in the bank? That there will be a time when, you know, you can finally enjoy everything you've been saving for and working toward? What if there's not? What do you do then? What matters then? Have you been assuming that things will always be the way they are now? You know, where we can stretch out on our couches and have the food that we want? What happens if it's not? What happens when everything changes? Have you taken for granted that you will always know what to do and how to handle things? I've been reading the prayer of Jehoshaphat this week when he's surrounded by an army and he he prays to God. It's a beautiful prayer. He prays to God, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And the idea that we would say, I don't know what to do in this situation. I don't know how to fix it. I think we're all feeling that right now. What's the right answer? What's the best way? We don't know. So what happens when we've been used to and taking for granted the fact that we will always know how to handle the situations that come in our lives? Have you been counting on America? That because we live here, There will always be prosperity and freedom and peace and food. Why would we think that different rules apply to Americans than apply everywhere else? I think some of us have experienced that we've taken for granted our jobs, reliable paycheck, that we've been taken for granted how much our skills and expertise are needed. And all of a sudden, when something like this shakes our world, it leaves us confused and searching like that young man. We come to ourselves and we see, I'm not in the place I thought I was, and I see how much I've taken for granted. But especially, I want to say, is it possible that we've taken for granted that we can always fix things later in our spiritual lives, always go home later, always make everything right later, that there will always be more time and opportunity later. What if that's not true? See, wake-up calls grab our attention because they knock out all the crutches we've been leaning on. And everything we've been relying on to make us comfortable in the present suddenly is gone. And we have to answer the question, what happens now? Where do we go now? What matters now? The third question I want to ask, is what change have you been fighting? Let's go back to Luke 15. It's funny, as soon as the bottom falls out for this young man, he knows exactly where to go. He has always known where to go. He just hasn't wanted to go yet, at least not bad enough. Luke 15 and verse 17. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. He says, now, I know now it's time to go home. And it's time to go home in a certain way, to go home hat in hand, begging, not demanding, not insisting, give me the the piece of property, my inheritance that falls to me. What I deserve? No, no, I don't want what I deserve. I'm just asking. I'm just begging. These kinds of changes are hard because you can see it in the young man and his his language. He's changed. He's humbled. And we have to swallow our pride. And we have to say things like, I was wrong. I've been wrong not just that one time, not just in that one thing I said, but in the whole way I've been living. I was wrong. So what happens is we fight changes like that, just like this young man did. We fight and fight until we feel we have no other options, until we get a wake-up call. Acts chapter 26. Let's look there. Acts 26. You see a a couple of indications of this, but the one that sticks out to me uh, in the book of Acts is, is the way Paul describes Jesus talking to him on the road to Damascus. Acts 26 and verse 12 Paul is telling the story of his uh, Jesus appearing to him. In uh, Acts sixteen twelve. In this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority of the commission of the chief priests. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen on the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. It's hard for you to kick against the goads. So what he is saying is God is pushing you. The goad is an instrument of of work for an ox. You know, they poke them so that they'll go in a certain direction, keep them in the right direction, and make them go faster. But sometimes a a stubborn ox would kick the goad. And so what ends up happening is you don't don't get any relief from it. You just end up hurting yourself because you're kicking the very pointy thing that's stabbing you. So Jesus says it's hard for you to kick against the goads. It's hard for you to fight. I just wonder so much what that meant for Paul. I wonder, was there a nagging sense Paul had that he needed to change? Was there something in the back of his mind as he persecuted the Christians that maybe they're right? Maybe I'm not doing the right thing. I don't know what Paul's goads were. But here is what I do know. I know that we are stubbornly resistant to change. Even when we know we need to do it, we hate it. We don't like it. And we fight it. Some things are just too personal. Some things are just too difficult. Some things are just too humiliating. And so the question is, what change have you been fighting? Now is the time to wake up and to embrace the fact that you need to go home. Maybe in a humiliating way to say, I want the blessings of the Father's house again. Wake-up calls tend to bring those changes into focus. That is, they force our hands. Suddenly, we have to do something because we know what really matters and we know how we've been fighting, and it's time to surrender or else. Acts 16 is where I want to show you that. Acts 16. So you've got a man here in Acts 16 that we don't know everything in his inner mind and what's going on with his heart, but... As these situations and circumstances unfold, it becomes clear what really matters to him and that he has been fighting something. Acts 16 and verse 25. It says, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the prisoners were listening to them. Obviously, they are in prison. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's bonds were unfastened. So I think what happens here, this is just my interpretation of this, is that initially when Paul and and Silas come into the prison, the jailer is a little bit curious. And then he hears them singing. That's kind of neat. Why would these guys who've just been beaten and now they're in prison, why would they be singing? But, you know, maybe there's nothing that pressing in that moment for the jailer. And then two things happen. First, there's an earthquake. Okay, And if you've ever been through an earthquake, you know that's a... It's an unsettling feeling. Okay? When the, the floor is literally shaking, everything you're standing on is no longer stable. And then you've got the damage and the upset that comes with that. And then there is, evidently, it's such a strong earthquake that there's the possibility that the prisoners have all escaped. And so he draws his sword to kill himself. He thinks, this is it. I failed in my job. They're going to kill me. Might as well kill myself first. And then just at the last moment, Paul cries out, no, 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 we're all safe. Don't hurt yourself. So when those two events happen, those are life-changing events. Having an earthquake, having the possibility that you're about to kill yourself and die. And so suddenly he rushes in and he is trembling with fear. This moment has gotten to him and he says, what must I do to be saved? All of a sudden, we know a little bit more about his heart. This is what he's thinking about. This is what matters to him. It all comes clear in a wake-up call, in a moment. That's what wake-up calls do. I suspect most of us have had this experience, like the jailer. Maybe we have a a near-death experience. I've told you guys about some of mine in the past. I don't want to go into all those again. The the most harrowing one was when there was a small plane that we were flying in and began to fill with smoke, and I really thought I was going to die. And in that moment... When you think you're going to die, there is clarity about what really matters. And when there are changes that you've been fighting that you know you need to make, they become crystal clear. It's right there, the forefront of your mind. Just like this man, what must I do? How do I fix this? It changes us. Had several of those in cars. One time I had a really intense sickness. I thought I might die there's something on your conscience, moments like these bring it to the forefront. So the, answer, the question is, what change is there that you have been resisting? What questions are there that you are refusing to answer? I just don't want to deal with it right now. What life changes seem too daunting? You know, I, I just don't think I could do it. What do you need to mend in your relationships? What past wounds do you need to let go What do you need help with? What relationships do you need to end or to transform? If you're fighting, why are you fighting? If you know you need to do something, now is the time. It's a wake-up call. I want to remind you of three things. First, remember that major personal change can begin right now. The young man at this moment decides when he comes to himself, I will go home. And up he gets, and out he goes. Paul changes in this moment when he sees Jesus, and he is never the same. The jailer in this moment changes his life for good. Many of us are where we are now because there were moments like these in our lives, moments where something finally got to us and we knew it's time to make a change, and we changed, and we changed for good. I had one conversation several years ago that was simultaneously the most difficult and the most important conversation of my entire life. I have never been the same. So now is the moment. This is the time. You can do that. I also want to remind you that your father wants you back. I want you to see the reception that this young man gets. Let's go back to Luke 15 and verse 20. Luke 15 and verse 20, it says, And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son. So notice that's the little speech he had prepared. He's going to say, Just treat me like one of your hired servants but he cuts him off. Verse 22, but the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. So this is the reception that the repentant child gets. The father says, no, we're not doing any of that. Father, I've sinned and make me a servant. He says, this is my son. So we're going to have a party. And he does. That is the way God feels about us. It is a passion of a parent's love for their child. And we understand some of that, those of us who are parents, and we we understand that as we've received that from our parents. But that is just a shallow mirror of the love God has for his children. God wants you to come home. He wants this moment to change you. But there is also this to remember. The iron is only hot for so long. There is urgency in now. There are some people in the Bible who have wake-up calls. And they consider something they had not realized before. And they come to some some thoughts that they probably had not really focused on before. And then they back away at the last moment. Usually. Usually. When that happens, they don't care enough to have future opportunities. Or if they do, they're not nearly as strong. So, for example, there's Balaam. Here's hears his donkey talk to him. He sees an angel in the road. You would think when a moment like that happened to someone, they would be completely changed. Not Balaam. In fact, Balaam goes right along and ends up sort of betraying the people of God after that experience. There's Agrippa who tells Paul, you almost persuade me to be a Christian. But not quite. And what we know is nothing more about Agrippa ever coming to faith. There's Felix, who hears Paul preaching, and it says he becomes alarmed. And he says, go away, go away. When I get a better time, I'll call you. And so he does. I mean, they do talk later, but it seems to me they never talk again with the same urgency. Because there's just something about that. When we know we need to change something and we know this is the time and we say, you know what? Let's talk about it later. The next time you talk about it, there's a little less urgency and a little less and a little less. How tragic to go through a time like what we we're experiencing and to see a need and to know we could get right with God and to do nothing. Because what we know for sure is that the next time it will be easier to ignore that feeling. And the next time it will be easier and easier and easier. And eventually... We grow cold and hard in our sin and in our rebellion. So, major personal change means getting right with God first. We have to own what we've done, who we are, where we've been, and we have to go home. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for what I've done. I want to do right. Can you forgive me? I'm talking about getting right with God. We put our faith in Jesus for forgiveness because we know we are sinners. We have messed everything up, but God has sent his son to take those sins away. And we are baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of those sins. Just like the jailer that night baptized. Just like those in Acts 2 who are cut to the heart and they have that moment. And they repent and are baptized for the forgiveness of their sins. Or maybe you've already been baptized. And for you, it is about owning your sin and confessing it to God. But get right with God first. Then ask the question, what will change now? Where do we go from here? What needs to go in your life? What do you need to do differently? Who are you going to involve in that? You can become a different person. God can change you inside and out to be a better man or woman, to gain the strength to walk through this time or any other time. You can gain character to do right in every situation. God can empower you to do that. You can have better relationships when you follow Jesus and his pattern of honesty and love in relationships. You can overcome your desire to please people or your desire to dominate people or whatever it may be. You can know real love because you know God. And things can change, but this is the moment. This time is a wake-up call. My urging to you is don't let it pass. Now, I want to say, we're going to sing a song here in this building But we've got a lot more people who are watching us online than are here present. And if you are ready to make a change in your life and you want to be baptized into Christ, you need help to do that and you need us to uh, make that happen or find someone in your area to make that happen, please reach out to us on our website, fairviewparkchurch.com. We would love to talk to you about that and love to help you in any way we can. If we can pray for you, if we can study with you, if we can work with you, don't let this time pass without reaching out to God and to us, if we can help you to get closer to God, that there's someone here who has a need, we invite you to come to the front as we stand and sing to encourage you.